Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. All of you wonderful world singers, today is like a kaleidoscope mixed with a collage because we are going to be looking at all of the different broadsheets from Mistborn Era 2. Each of the three books that we have so far includes some of these special little one-offs, a little world building. Yeah, it's kind of like the version of the interludes for these books and and, or um, epigraphs like we have in Era 1. This is that version for this series. And I'm really glad we're doing this because I don't know about you, but particularly in Kindle reading, I find these very hard to read because they sort of are like in the flow of the book. So a lot of times I just skip over them because it distracts me from the building action of of the actual story. Like, I don't think I had ever read the broadsheets in the Bands of Mourning before I took notes on this. I think that what is most important, whether you have a hard physical copy or a Kindle copy, is that the broadsheets seemingly have very surface level importance and don't feel maybe as important or significant as the epigraphs. Yeah, at first you're like, oh, this is kind of cute and fun. But then if you dive into them, particularly in the later books, there's some really interesting things that these broadsheets can tell us about the world that we see and also a lot about the world that we don't see directly in the plot of the story. Now, Brandon has been asked multiple times about the broadsheets, and there are plenty of words of Brandon that you can dive into and look for. But we're going to bring kind of the highlights from Brandon, mix them and intersperse them as we go through each of the three books right now and each of their contributions to the broadsheets. I think very generally we can say that the later the books, the more Cosmere significant the broadsheets. And I would expect some really crazy broadsheets coming in The Lost Metal. Yeah, I can't even begin to guess what that's going to look like. So Brandon has been asked multiple times, are the broadsheets canon? And he has an interesting answer, which I think gives us reason to doubt, just a bunch of room to doubt, because he says, yes, of course, the broadsheets are canon. We spent a lot of time working on them. Everything in the broadsheets was, you know, added purposefully, but they are like a tabloid in-world medium. Of course. And you can look at our own world's tabloids to kind of judge the accuracy or what kind of faith you put into those things. So that's an interesting wrinkle up front is that these are yeah. real, they're in world, but we have no idea. And a lot accuracy. of them are based on real facts. Like we see news articles from events that we see in book uh, referenced or directly experienced. And so there are grains of truth, but you certainly have to take them all with a grain of salt lots of grains going on and i think we get dropped into the first broadsheet 
presented uh, in the Ellendale Daily, the newspaper of the city of Ellendale. And the careful, close-eyed viewer will also note that there are insignias for the different medals that correspond to the dates across the broadsheets. Of course, the steel alphabet. The steel alphabet, exactly. Which I just realized the characters in the steel alphabet are comprised of symbols for all three metallic arts, including hemallurgy, which they don't know about. Their symbols have like a semicircle, which is like a ferrochemical bracer, Mm -hmm. a dot, which is a bead of metal that you would use as an allomancer, and then spikes, which are hemallurgy. And those are all in like different configurations in all of the steel alphabet characters, which I just thought was very interesting. Because they know the alphabet, but they don't know what the alphabet is referencing. Right. We get several different looks across Alloy of Law. I think interspersing four different times or so. It's one one section of the paper. I think it's just the front page of the Ellendell Daily, but mm-hmm. it is broken up throughout the book. Um, you can find a full pdf of the whole front page online um that'll be linked in our notes so you can take a look if you want to if especially again if you're a kindle reader or an audiobook reader uh you may have never really seen them let's start with the ellendale daily there is an interesting article called is there life across the ocean And this article details a ship that was lost at sea. The sailors eventually came upon an island where there was a marooned sailor whose ship had been taken by, quote, a strange seafaring people, end quote. And allegedly these people were people of the ocean having and possessing unknown metals. We have later or will later have the direct experience of the Ellen Delites? Is that? Ellendelians. Ooh, that's great. I like all the ups and downs of that. It's fun. Ellendelians have a direct meeting with the Southern Scadrians, but this almost feels different in a way. Yeah, I want to say it's a different group. It seems like the Southern Scadrians are exploring the skies with their Mm -hmm. flying ships. We don't really hear anything from them about sea travel. So this is potentially a whole different group of people that the Ellendelians do not know about that they have now come into contact with. Potentially, they also have additional unknown metals. Of course, the Southern Scadrians have et metal, which the Ellendelians did not know about. And again, unclear if these, quote, people of the oceans actually do have unknown metals or if this is a way to uh, enhance the story again for that broadsheet tabloid esque feel to increase intrigue. Exactly, because the real bit of information might be that a ship was lost at sea and a sailor returned from that with crazy stories. And that's what the Ellendale Daily is reporting. And then it becomes a question of what can we surmise about these different hints from. Brandon's perspective, everything was added purposefully, but that doesn't mean that everything is a gigantic mystery and or secret. Of course. Some things, and we'll talk about these later, are even red herrings or red and black herrings, as Mm. it may be. 
uh, meant to send us as readers off on <laughs> wild goose chases. So keep that in mind as we are reading. But I do think that this is a possibility of a third people mm-hmm. after the Southern Skadrians. We'll call them like the uh, the people of the the New World or the New Continent off to the West compared to the location uh, seemingly like north and south that the Skadrians are bumping mm. into now. This seems to be across the ocean or yeah. the sea of some type. And I'm very excited, hopefully further advancement with the flying machines would actually open up their world and maybe that includes other introductions just like our own planet experienced yeah next article that i want to talk about is called ironized sightings on the rise this one definitely jumped out at me because we hadn't i think seen iron eyes in the flesh like we do at the very end of the book so at this time it was the first reference or one of the early reference Mm -hmm. to Marsh. And so that to me was just exciting to read about. But it's interesting that there's apparently a bunch of people who have seen Iron Eyes Marsh, uh, but we only see him what, you know, his purpose is to be there giving Marasi this book. So my question is, what else is he doing that he is just all up around Ellendale letting people see him other than that book delivery. I still don't have a full understanding, and I think book readers don't have a full understanding of what Marsh's role is in Scadrial for Scadrial. He has these nicknames, Iron Eyes and Death. Yeah. And I've always wondered if he is performing some type of service akin to what preservation or fuzz was doing with cognitive shadows as they passed. Like He would a, have to be in the cognitive realm to do that, though. But he is somehow in the cognitive realm as a super spiked hemologist to the max, you know, this creation of the Lord Ruler. And each hemologic spike is somehow bridging the three realms and like piercing things together. Yeah. So I would think that I my guess is that we what will be unveiled is that there is a similarity between Iron Eyes and Kelsier the Survivor. That basically Marsh was doing something, Kelsier Cognitive Shadow like worked backwards from there to create himself in the physical realm, to bring himself forward. Mm. And I think that I feel like if Marsh is doing anything, he wouldn't have started doing it until after Mistborn Secret History by like quite a ways. Certainly, this would be in the period when the world is being rebirthed and renewed and Marsh is still around. Zazed has a personal connection to Marsh. Maybe Marsh is simply a servant of Zazed or Harmony, Mm -hmm. which makes sense because he's, again, super spiked. And so very at the will of Harmony, basically anything that Harmony wants, he could make Marsh do. And so maybe he is just like a robot for Harmony walking around. But I don't necessarily think that's the case. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of agency when we actually see him at the end of the book. He specifically says, I'm going against what Harmony wanted, but like Harmony's philosophy is such that he has to allow me to disagree with him. So I feel like Martian says probably hang out because like you said, they have a personal connection and being two of the only 
mm-hmm. beings that are as old as they are, you know, they keep each other company in a way. I don't necessarily see Says like controlling Marsh like that. Not that he couldn't, mm-hmm. which is an important thing to remember. But I don't think that it's a regular thing. I also wouldn't call him a servant of Harmony. The Chondra are kind of more filling that role. Like okay. I feel like yeah. Says would let Marsh do his own thing. I do agree. I believe that if there was going to be a character that siphoned off a little bit of autonomy or power for themselves away from Harmony, it would be someone that Zazed thought of as an equal. And I think him, Marsh, and even Kelsier, having started all on the same plane of like being mortals hanging out together, Mm -hmm. uh, that he has to have a different mindset about those entities than he does about all of the existing people because it's just a different thing. Yeah, And so I think Marsh's role could be a lot more important or significant on Scadriel. And I'm simply taking this from those haunting words of Bloody Tan about having met God, the survivor, and death, and wanting there to be a little bit more behind that. That like each of those titles is actually like a role that they are performing at mm-hmm. this time, not just a throwaway like nickname or reference to them like i want that to actually be some type of like a job yeah let's dive into the next little bit from the ellendell daily because this is kind of a a mirrored mention quote the faceless immortals saved my life a retelling of an account where one of the chandra saved a you know random normie supposedly allegedly yeah whether or not this specific account is actually true, this section of the broadsheet is still a foreshadowing for us as readers that the Chondra are around. They are living among the humans now rather than being sort of down in their caves apart. This will be explored a lot more in Shadows of Self, and we will talk about that and those specifics in a little bit. But I think the Probably the most well-known and important bit of information from this first broadsheet is exploring the pits of Eltania. Yes. This, of course, is the first time that we meet Alomancer Jack. Gentleman pirate. (laughs) I mean, gentleman adventurer. (laughs) Yeah. We have previously done a episode on... Alamancer Jack and some of his adventures. You can check the back catalog for that. So if you want the actual like plot details and more in-depth analysis of the Alamancer Jack stories, you can dive into that. But tell us about the Pits of Eltania. Well, we know that Alamancer Jack is a real person. However, it is pretty unclear how accurate his stories actually are. Like we said at the beginning with sort of all of these stories, theoretically, at least some of this is like based on fact and it's just been punched up a little bit for readership. In this specific story, he's being held prisoner in a Coloss camp. And based on his narrative and his descriptions, we can learn that the present day Elendelians have lost the knowledge of how Coloss are made. He says this, quote, 
Ever since their first interaction with me, they had been insistent that anyone may join them. Any man they deemed worthy could be made a coloss, they claimed. Indeed, several of their most brutish and powerful warriors claimed to have been once men from the city. Obviously false, but there is something in their mindset that makes them think this way. End quote. Now, interesting speculation, but the Coloss have always been a little bit of both a nightmare and an intrigue because of their desire to be human or be treated as an equal. And in this world, we have Coloss human hybrids. 100 uh, percent. The brute who is assisting Miles is Tarson. That's his name. Yeah, there's a few different times where people with the sort of grayish skin are remarked upon. They are the Coloss humans. And so it is kind of interesting that they would have this connection. I mean, I guess maybe those people only exist because of unpleasant sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. Not the great kind, but the, or yeah, not the, the consensual non-consensual kind. Mm -hmm. I think... That's a dark thought process. But if, again, but, we give some credit like... to this bit of information. Well, actually, just to remind everyone, how are Kolos made in the Lord Ruler's time? Humans are spiked. With numerous spikes, right? Or is it a single spike situation? I think they have a bunch of small ones that like tack the Coloss skin onto them. Now that's during the Lord Ruler's time, but after the Catacendra, Harmony remakes the Coloss and they are able to reproduce naturally, which was blocked by the Lord Ruler. And at a coming of age, Coloss youth are given a decision whether they accept the spikes and become full Coloss. But if they don't accept the spikes, they become known as the Coloss blooded. Hmm. And those are the types of Coloss that more naturally intermingle with human society, right. including Tarson. Tarson is Coloss blooded. He did not right. accept okay. the spikes, but he's also not a, hopefully, you know, his parents were very loving and consensual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Coloss, and he just foregoed becoming the full spiked version. We should expect from that's this, interesting. yeah, that there clearly are groups of full Coloss, and that's who Alamancer Jack has run into in this situation. But there's also these Coloss blooded individuals who can and do intermingle enough with regular society that there are Coloss blooded Alamancers like Tarson. Either way. This idea that the other way of making more coloss is like a lost piece of information, mm -hmm. I think is interesting. There's clearly still some mythology or some version of the information being passed down through coloss society. The humans clearly don't really know about it. So just, I think, something to remember that might end up cropping up again. I think that's Along a good with call. Hemallergy proper. Yes, I think that's a very good call. That basically the Coloss have maintained some of the knowledge that Harmony. I'm not saying he suppressed it or tried to suppress it, but basically in his recreation, he that's just the made story it so told. they didn't have to. He was like, exactly. "Let me make you a way to reproduce where you don't have to kill people." Doesn't that sound great? And they were like, "Cool, yes. we would like that." 
and that works out but the other way is probably still known and that's maybe what alamancer jack is referencing i'm curious just to see how often it happens though right and i want more exploration of kolos culture that wraps us up for the elendal daily that's all we've got of any significance really in the first book so let's go right on to shadows of self where we get the house record I don't know for sure, but this sounds like it is maybe a broadsheet specifically directed at the greater houses of Elendel. Of course, because you can't have the trash rag in high society. (laughs) Exactly. That's where the Washington Post resides. Plus, you need to hear all of the gossip about your fellow house lords and ladies. Yeah, this is more like the difference between the really trash magazine and then like us weekly yeah and all the moms by the us weekly yes and they're just like no 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 this is i'm just getting normal news about people's sex lives mainly yeah (laughs) so that's kind of what i feel like the house record is in world is it's high society but just as trashy (laughs) we have another gentleman jack episode in this broadsheet and it is called quote gentleman jack in the city of fountains part six the sinister soiree end quote which is such just a perfect little pluck out of time to that's so many titles it's wonderful clearly based on the serialized stories of our own earth past what's interesting in the sinister soiree is wax's name dropped Waxillium gets a mention as an adversary uh, compares the two, right? Between yes. Jack and Wax. Yeah. The adversary asks Jack if he is Waxillium Ladrian. And Jack mentions that he's punched many men for asking him that question. And he's like, no, if I ever met Wax in person, I would pull a gun on him. So he does not like Wax and also gets mistaken for him all the time. <laughs> Very funny. I don't know if that's a Brandon reference, like dealing with this situation is, are you trying to, you know, write multiple versions of Wax? Just like the craziest version is siphoned off into Alamancer Jack. I mean, I think the idea is that this gentleman adventurer role, like it's not just Wax. This oh, is This not. is a, an occurrence that maybe is not happening commonly, but that is... It's a thing. Yes, I think that you know, it's You know, these referenced... are the hipsters of the time. <laughs> it is weird that it's like a thing, a, a reverse hipster, but they're, you know, they're going out to the refs before it was cool. Yeah. And they're, you know, taking the law into their own hand. But there definitely is multiple references about other people other than Wax. Because Wax coming... is also asked if he is basically the same as Gentleman Jack, they're like, oh, you're just like that Jack guy in the broadsheets that I read about. And he's like, well, no, not really. But I think there is a way in which they are close together. And we start to see a little bit of that as we continue to see flashbacks from Wax's past. And he continues to tell Marasi what his life in the roughs was really like, where we hear about him struggling. We hear about him not being very skilled, especially in that uh, scene where he first meets Lessie. Mm. And she's like, oh my God, you don't know what you're doing, do you? (laughs) And he's like, nope, no clue. Like, just totally, you know, doing all the things that he's read about in the broadsheets, like trying to jump onto his horse from a height. And she's like, that's 
that's you're gonna not going to work. The horse's back. So I think it's good to remember that sort of in those respects, he is Gentleman Jack. Like yes. we think he's better, but in a lot of ways, he's kind of the same. We get hints in book one regarding Marassi and kind of like, oh, I didn't know it happened like that. Or they never tell me these interesting character yeah, details. Yeah. But I think what you're mentioning and that flashback with Lessie is even more important. He has the moment of scaring away the rest of the bandits by positioning himself as if he has just killed Granite Joe and his main henchman. And so right when the door opens, he's like standing. Yeah, he's like them. got the bloody knife, yes. you know, clearly pointing to himself like I did it. And then they all run away. <sighs> and that concept that he jokes about with Leslie about like creating an image and having a thing and it being very valuable, that is where Gentleman Jack and he, I think, are, you know, spirit brothers, uh, just yeah. cleaning up the roughs together. Like I would say Wax is probably a lot more competent. He has and... multiple magic powers. So <laughs> is he's a sword of harmony. He is a twin born. And I think he also has a different intent where Wax really is trying to help the people around him. And I think... Alamancer Jack is much more selfishly inclined, which is why he is bumping up his stories and selling them to the papers. Oh, this is interesting. I'm wondering if there is a writer behind Alamancer Jack who is maybe like more in on this charade than we know of. For example, what if another quote unquote lawman's thing is that they created the story of Alamancer Jack to go out beyond their own tiny bubble that they can influence. Yeah. But they I like think... send the message far and wide. And that's kind of like their thing. They're not actually out there fighting fist of cuffs, but they are. Right. Like it's elementary... fictional. Yes. Right. And they... I think that's a possibility. I don't think that it's true because of what we're going to continue to see of Alamancer Jack interacting with real people in the real world. That's a great That's point. not to say, again, that everything Alamancer Jack does is accurate. <laughs> Let's jump to the next one because this is a more simple, an advertisement and an image that is depicting a new historical operetta starring everyone's favorite lovers from the olden days, Vin and Ellen. Yes. And the title of the operetta is A Hero for All Ages. And in the ad, they're like trying to reach each other, but they're being held back. Vin's being held back by Coloss and Ellen is being held back by a bunch of poor people. <laughs> Just asking him to, you know, recreate the world after he helped kill their leader. <laughs> it's depicting the great demands on him as a leader. Exactly. He's responsible to the people. And it's just very cute. And I think another indication of the fact that this is maybe a more posh broadsheet because posh people would be the ones going, going to an to operetta. Opera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we also have a political cartoon here. And this one is depicting a lion, which is labeled Ellendell. And the Ellendell lion is spanking a child, which is labeled as New Saren. And there are three other people in the back that are sort of like pointing and laughing at this occurrence. They look like they might be like a farmer, a businessman, and maybe like a pharmacy clerk or something. They look like they're supposed to be standing in for common uh, jobs in mm -hmm. Ellendale, maybe. And then the caption on this is, 
quote, and it's bedtime without supper, too, end quote. Now, clearly, there is this division that's going on with Wax in Shadows of Self, but the setup for the divisions with Elendel and the Basin and the set and the political divisions that they are sowing, like it's all been happening and is mm-hmm, happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I think that this political cartoon and really any political cartoons are wonderful world building elements. Like I think Brandon and other people should do this more often because you can tell so much by the way that a society will depict itself and what is going on and the the speaker, the mm-hmm. artist who is what they are trying to convey, that message, it all has to be by mechanism of the medium. It has to be very clear. It has right. to be something that you can look at and just be Concise. like, oh, I get it. Yeah. They're little babies, Ellendale spanking. But then you can dissect that just as we would in our own world and try to figure out, okay, wait, what does that mean? Because there's a bunch of political cartoons from the turn of the century that at the time may have meant one thing and now we Mm. look at them with a different eye and so like what's the different eye how are different people going to see this political cartoon across the spectrum of individuals i think it's accomplishing two things one obviously asserting ellendell's dominance over the rest of the basin Two, it's a way of creating an us versus them. So one way that you can sort of start to quell dissent inside of your city, for example, people unionizing and fighting for workers' rights, is you say, actually, you don't want to be fighting Ellendale. We're your friends. Like, we're all Ellendellians here. We really need to be focused on fighting the new Saren people, those outside people, you know, those are the ones we need to be focusing our attention on. You should be upset at them. And that way it binds you together as a city might help chill out some of those rumblings that are happening and creates a new focus for your discontent. Yeah, that has a lot of parallels and the depiction of the lion or, or you know, these strong animals, Russia, the bear, the United States, the eagle, Great Britain, often the lion, that were all taking part in a little bit of colonialism in the previous century. And that's what it feels like here, you know, binding together some groups by creating an outgroup, mm-hmm. the new Saren people, mm-hmm. as you were talking about. I think that there's another way of looking at this though, which is the children, the other, you know, normal people of Ellendale are still at the mercy of this powerful line who can bend them over and spank them. Oh, like they could time. be next in line. Exactly. Sure. They're laughing yeah. now mm-hmm. the way a sibling might laugh when their younger brother or sister is punished. But at any moment, that role can be reversed. Like these are still children compared to the lion. And that to me is what the set is kind of playing off is like it's us the normal people against the lion the abuser and this kind of power that's being held over you this threat of violence is what you need to bond against anyways as just a different perspective on this as well probably the most interesting article in this broadsheet is called quote visitors from other worlds end quote and this certainly made my 
eyes bulge. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, we're always looking for world hoppers. This story is also the first time that we hear of Lady Nicelle Sauvage. And this is the character that Isaac at Dragonsteel is writing a Cosmere spinoff story about. It is tentatively titled Boatload of Mummies. And that may be dropped during some of the Year of Sanderson for those of you following along. Miss Nicelle Savage. We meet her as Nicelle, and she is described in this article. She's basically the source of the article, so it's not written by her. It's like not really focusing on her necessarily. It's not from the first person. The journalist writing the article says that she is where he got this information. So Nicelle is an adventurer, and in one of her adventures, she came upon, quote, a mountain pool of most perfect blue, end quote. Obviously, we think possibly a shard pool, perhaps? What is more entrancing is that there is a figure hunched by the pool that is said to have piercing eyes and a face like some otherworldly beast. Speculation is now running rampant for who is... What is the hunched figure? And is this a shard pool? If so, who's shard pool? What's shard pool? Why shard pool? <laughs> I think that partially with the description, it sounds like it could be a southern scadrian in a mask. We know that when Marasi first sees Alec, the southern scadrian, she sort of also immediately interprets him as some kind of monster because of the mask and then eventually realizes like, oh, it's a mask. So it could be that the same thing is happening to Nicelle. Mm -hmm. The fact that this person is like hunching by this pool that might be a shard pool obviously makes me think that this person, even if they are a southern scadrian, is maybe a world hopper. And what southern scadrian world hopper do we know? Ayatil, Mraze's mm. master. Yes, on Rashar. So we yes. have to imagine that Ayatil, because she seemed to have a deeper history and a, a longer relationship than just, you know, what Shalon sees, they, she has this relationship with the Ghostbloods, that there had to be a back and forth and a movement of her around the Cosmere. For well, and we some know that. Ayatil is actually from Silverlight. She was exactly. born in Silverlight, but she is of Southern Scadrian Descent. ancestry. Yes. And so it's entirely possible that someone from Silverlight would know all of the ins and outs of the cognitive realm. Definitely. And that the Southern Scadrians may have had access to this shard pool and been cognitively exploring the Cosmere and basically, you know, have gone out like scouts and have made those connections to different, like the lighthouse. Yeah, it would be interesting to know, like, what the timeline is. I would think that if this type of hopping was, like, really widely known by the Southern Scadrians as they are now, they probably would have survived the Catacendra better. Like, they wouldn't have needed Kelsier to come and be like, I will save your life by giving you warmth. Mm, but I'm just I... talking since that time, since Kelsier came and saved them. Oh, yeah, maybe. I also wonder if, like, perhaps this shard pool existed pre-Catacendra in the southern part of Scadriel, and then when the world was, like, shifted and remade, it got moved? Mm, maybe? Interesting. And so Nisel is 
going to stumble upon this in her adventures. What I and many people are wondering when it comes to the shard pool is why the color blue and we have previously because of water this concept of the most perfect blue being a aspect of the shard pool itself if the water itself is blue it's not just like reflecting uh the beautiful sky i feel like this is always the way shard pools are described as being like super perfect and like brilliantly blue well they're like extra beautiful pools i think that the main other one we would have to look at is the Well of Ascension, which was like- Well, that's, yes, a shard pool, excuse me, but on Scadrail, the Well of Ascension and Ruin and Preservation's main colors were always depicted as black and white. I do think there are natural pools of water that are then also perpendicularities and mm-hmm. centers of power. But for example, the Well of Ascension was- preservation's power and the description and at least some of the images that i've seen have that always been more like white a mist a Mm -hmm. swirling kind of energy maybe not an actual physical pool of water yeah kind of like the source of power from things we've seen in other places yeah like in elantris that's an actual pool of water yeah this too what nacelle comes across seems to be an actual pool of water But I am wondering if there is a color significance to the blue. Does that mean like the black and white of preservation and ruin are gone and harmony is now more associated with blue? Because I don't think we've seen a color associated with harmony really come through. Yeah. And well, and not all of them have colors, we have to remember. That is true. Brennan has said that some shards have stronger affinities for color than others. Which then leads me to the secondary question, which is, is this a shard pool not of harmony, of another shard? You think it's like autonomy's shard pool? Would be the main speculation is like, if you wanted to take over a planet, the best thing you could do is get your troops behind enemy lines, shard pool drop. I think as a shard, you have to have quite a bit of influence on a specific planet in order to create your perpendicularity. And I don't think at this time autonomy has that much influence on the planet it does seem like it would be the next step where currently autonomy yeah i think you would have to have yeah harmony would have to not be there basically compared to something like odium on rashar where he certainly had a perpendicularity on braze and maybe speculation speculation he was able to shift that to rashar helping with the Everstorm situation that's going on there. But he's been part of Rashar for so long that that could conceivably make right. sense. exactly. Where I do think the biggest question that people have is, is this a shard pool of Harmony or of someone else? And Harmony is the most logical answer, but someone else mm. is very, very interesting. Okay, let's go to... A really fun article called Reckless Ruffian Apprehends Kills Marksman. And this is about Wax. So he gets his own little excerpt. Yeah, not name dropped. In the paper. Yes, it is like very clearly about Waxillium Ladrian. And I think there is an interesting sort of discussion that happens in this little opinion piece. Um, It's similar to like discussions that are had in the um, Avengers movies. Yes. Where the, 
the article is kind of like, I mean, yeah, he like killed the bad guy, but he also shot up a business. He like wrecked a bunch of stuff and then he killed the criminal before the criminal even got a fair trial and is like going around all of the legal processes and structure that we have in place. And so is it really worth it? In the Avengers, they have, you know, the Sokovia Accords and yes, all these yes. elements. A lot of them are exactly. We're about tragedy. to get some uh, Skadrian Accords. That's what it feels like, and specifically to keep people like Wax from going beyond their station. And I have to say, this makes a lot of sense. And this is totally a thing that Marassi has called for more than once basically that there has to be a moving forward of society that decreases people like wax's central role because of their power and i think that as we've talked about a lot like practicality like you can't just go through the city wrecking a bunch of stuff and like ruining people's livelihoods potentially like is the harm that you're doing outweighing the good that you're doing in certain circumstances and i will say to sprinkled throughout these broadsheets there are other articles that like don't have cosmere significance of people complaining about various things and whatnot Mm -hmm. and one of them is like coin shots are ruining our street lamps they keep using them to push off of and like everything is bad and i think that's just another one that sort of ties in to this article really well that's a little bit of like the next door app vibe just like pushing off a street lamps hooligans yeah man shakes fist at sky yes coin shot in sky (laughs) yeah i love the idea that there are both big and small questions that are being asked here like yes there are probably a lot of wrecked pieces of metal that are just awkwardly bent because a heavy (laughs) coin shot uh, you know pushed off when they shouldn't have clearly we are incentivized to love wax and the crazy stories but i do believe that there is an important kind of philosophical question that is being introduced here with this article of in world how do you handle people who are super powered and overpowered, whether that comes in the overpowering because of their money and their financial status or their class or like wax, uh, just magical power. Those types of like a very general reality in our own world is a progressive income tax where you take money and you take more in a higher percentage, the more a person has. It was just like a way of balancing some of that power down. Well, and then I think this ties into Miles's argument as well of yes. like, look, we were given these powers, you know, we kind rule. of by harmony. So who are all these other people to come in and say, you can't push off of my street lamp. You can't use your powers through the city. Like, what the heck? That's the philosophical argument that yeah. I think is introduced by this very like silly one-off mentioning wax and you know criticizing him it is a deep question i think that's why the big marvel movies and whatnot have at least tried to deal with some of the blowback sometimes the the psychological harm to like an individual character but just yeah this society how does it how does a society deal with superheroes it's a little bit more watchmen or Mm -hmm. some of those uh darker one-off exploratory comics but i think that wax presents the same basic question in the society and i think when you're following a society through time like we are 
These are really important details for us to keep in mind because they are what is going to help us see where the society is headed. And when we pick back up, presumably after a time jump from Mm -hmm. Mistborn Era 3, you know, in order for us to understand how they got wherever they are in Era 3, we're going to need to know these types of details to kind of put those uh, you know, get from point A to point B. That's a really good point that these broadsheets, these bits of world building are small, but because we are experiencing things over time, even small changes, like hypothetically, this isn't going to happen, but what if there was a broadsheet mention in The Lost Metal that directly contradicted or or directly showed some type of change in the way normal people are interacting, a change in philosophy that we could experience and see, and then that can then be projected forward to the era three that you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, even I I think that is happening. We're getting depictions of the way that cities are relating to each other differently, right? Elendelians and the outer cities, they have a different relationship now. And those depictions are definitely going to come into play in era three, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Let's finish off the broadsheet mentions from book two so that we can jump to book three, because that's where a lot of this intercity, the Elendel Basin, all of that kind of comes to the fore and what we think a lot of the lost metal is going to be dealing with as well. So the last couple from Shadows of Self include the disturbance at Winsting Innate's Cottage. Yeah, this one was interesting. I'm not sure. It's kind of unclear if this is before or after Winston is killed in terms of the broadsheet, like when the broadsheet came out. I think, if I remember correctly, the event that we see where he's killed is Mm -hmm. in like an apartment in the city, Mm -hmm. not a cottage. So my thought is that this disturbance at the cottage is an allusion to when Palm, the Chandra, kills and takes the place of Winston's bodyguard. Yeah, I think this is a great call. And we do not see that moment happen right. in any other situation. It's presumed or, you know, deduced through other elements. And I would love if this was the only mention of yeah. that there was a cottage incident and that was Palm getting Yeah, you the know, swap they on. hear the window break or whatever and Winston's like Flog, did you get that? What's mm-hmm. happening? Yeah, I got it, sir. Then, no yeah, problem. Th- yeah, exactly. Back to bed, everyone. Little did you know. Palm, palm, palm. <laughs> that was my creepy palm voice. And then lastly, we have a little advertisement for Sunni Pups, which is like a stuffed dog, basically like a teddy bear from our turn of the century. And of course, they are based on Tensoon. Sunni Pups stuffed Tensoons. I want 10,000 so of these. I want them all over my house. I want them to hide in different areas. And then I can just walk by and be like, hmm, Sunni pup. And I also want them to be real. And I want to have a gigantic Tensoon oh that could be my wolfhound friend. Preferably with vials of cool stuff just in his pouch. Excellent hypothetical question. Do you want Tensoon to be in his dog form or in his horse form? Do you want to ride Tensoon mm. like a mode of transportation or just have a cool friend? Yeah, I mean, I I would lean toward dog, but I also don't want a dog that big. Like, I wouldn't want him to be my dog. He could maybe come visit, but that's too much. This is a fun thing that everybody could join in on. How small can a Tensoon get? 
Like, what's the smallest animal that he could copy? I'm sure someone out there on the internet knows. You can find us Yeah, I'm sure there is a medias. small limit. Yeah, there's got to be a size limit because his, like, goo fits in a box that we saw on page. But I'm just wondering, like, what's the smallest form they could do? Could he, could he do a smaller dog if he wanted? Because that could be cool. He definitely could do a smaller dog. I don't know if he could do, like, a fly. Let us know what you think on all of the different social media platforms. Now let's jump in to Bands of Mourning and the broadsheets we see there. This is from the paper The New Ascendancy, which is a new Saren publication. The first time we've seen a publication outside of Ellendale. Okay, so now this is what I'm talking about. We've now seen three different publications, the Upper Class High Society, the Normal Ellendale Daily, and the New Ascendancy all featuring Alamancer Jack, which means someone's got to be really pushing these Alamancer Jack stories. Yeah, Alamancer all. Jack. He's pushing them so far he's and so He's trying to make some money. I hope that he's getting paid. He's doing work. <sighs> this story is actually not about Alamancer Jack. It is presented by Alamancer Jack. So it's, quote, Alamancer Jack presents Nikki Savage, paranormal detective in The Constructs of Antiquity end quote his naming is getting better this man so he is sort of like yeah how many titles can you put in a single title this is almost like tyler perry-esque at this point (laughs) where it's tyler perry presents nikki savage yeah so seemingly they have met maybe in real life nikki slash nisel uh, was already an adventurer. Perhaps in her adventures, she met Jack and he was like, hey, baby, let me publish your stories. I can make you a bunch of money. And uh, apparently she said yes. So here she is presented as Nikki Savage. We have a very interesting story in here that I'm pretty sure I had never read before. I took notes for this episode. Just skipped right over it. But we also got more information this last year from a word of Isaac, a very rare word of Isaac, who is writing the story based on Nikki Savage and her adventures. He said, quote, since she's learning the art of storytelling from Alamancer Jack, I suspect her version of events was slightly embellished. Smiley face. We do get at this time a bit of additional information about Nikki, which is that she's a leecher, chromium misting, who can steal or leech metals from Alamancers, I think through physical touch is still required. Yes, physical touch is required. It's basically like aluminum, but aluminum destroys your own reserves, and chromium only allows you to destroy other people's reserves upon touching them. And we have a description of that power. Very interesting. Quote, When I drain a misting of metal reserves, I feel something I can only describe as pulling power from the metal and returning this power to some external source. The metal remains, but the power is gone. End quote. This is wild. Like, it's almost like chromium makes you a one-way conduit to the spiritual realm. Like, you can just trash shoot all of the investiture back into the spiritual realm. Almost like, again, she's like a one-way perpendicularity, like Dalinar sort of, Mm. but it only goes in one direction. Okay, or there is a little bit of a electricity vibe that I'd like to introduce here. What? Yeah, okay, no, no, stay with me. So you have the normal situation that an Alamancer would be using, 
which is that using a source, your battery, in a flashlight, in this case, the spiritual realm, you send some electricity through and you can produce the light, the allomantic payoff, basically, your source of power. Kind of is right, an allomancer this... is drawing power from the spiritual realm exactly. in order to be an allomancer. To be an allomancer, to use their power, or in this description, to project their light forth into the world. Okay? Stay with me. Okay. Now, a chromium misting like Nikki is short-circuiting that projection of power through the light bulb. Well, She's but... like stepping in and redirecting the electricity back to the source, back into the battery in this case, or into the spiritual realm. Yeah, it doesn't sound like she is a block where she's like preventing the power from reaching the person. She is saying that she is sending it back. So you're saying she's like a mirror, I guess, but she's on- she can like only direct the light back to the spiritual realm. Yeah, she has a fixed position that she is sending everything back to back to the source yeah but i think that's interesting that means she is like kind of directly tied to the spiritual realm yeah she's a conduit that is maybe more open than some other individuals even other allomancers because she is yeah she has like almost like a pinpoint direction right to the spiritual realm but it's coming through her i think that's the important part that like the direction I do think matters. Yeah. Coming out of them, projecting out of them a normal Alamancer behavior. Yeah, I think well, is we know than, that like, the metals are divided into internal metals and external metals. Of course. And chromium is an external pulling element. I think what this power can be used for is probably more important than we realize because it's not only metallic powers this is any investiture a chromium person can drain from an individual but some individuals are able to hold a lot more investiture than a allomancer for example are you like asking if she could like blank out the god king yes could she could she send all of those breaths back i would assume so me too that's just investiture vasher like every person, dang, and then you put that into one of the little cube? cubes, yeah, exactly, and it instantly drains a boom, lights out Nalthus, lights out for Nalthus, but also lights out for all of the radiance. You could just instantaneously yeah. drain their stormlight, their light, and have this, you know, epic kind of EMP so like device. Kind of the same as Racium. yes, in that drawing ability, which conducts investiture which is what i keep saying she's a conduit she conducts interesting she is like there's no way that racium is chromium right because chromium's an actual metal yeah and and racium obviously only exists yeah on rishar okay but they do have similar qualities in that respect and so therefore they are similarly dangerous Moving on, Nisel has some additional interesting qualities. For example, she says that she was trained by the monks of Bazkor, and she learned, quote, their practiced moves designed to get a leecher close enough to touch another alamancer and drain them of their reserves, end quote. So apparently there is like a semi-martial group of monks on Skadril who specifically have leecher 
skills choreography <laughs> choreography i like that i think that there are several different philosophies in the martial arts about closing distance or creating distance for those fans of avatar the last airbender obviously avatar ang he wants to create distance as an airbender but someone else might want to get close up and personal that's what it sounds like here the leechers are all trying to accomplish and i wonder you know someone like marasi and wayne also could do this theoretically as you know part of their skill set as well because wayne needs to be i mean they're not trained by the monks of baz so i don't think they could they definitely don't have they don't the have the necessary but they would skills benefit from meeting mickey savage they need to go to the monks of baz get some learning on yeah apparently i just thought that was a really interesting detail from the story we have this quote when a thief steals a large map of new saran miss savage is on the case the map's secret pocket contains her father's parting gift to her the location of a tribe of metal beings the Kalkis, lost creations of the lord ruler currently the only one keeping our daring debutante from the secrets of the unknown constructs of antiquity is the magical burglar she calls the haunted man, end quote. Few interesting things here. Are the Kalkis real? Is this a real thing? Do you a think... tribe of metal beings. Yeah, do you think that there is a tribe of metal beings that were lost creations of the Lord Ruler? Either the OG Lord Ruler or the new Lord Ruler, a.k.a. Kelsier. I think that there could be a either or. I don't I don't want to put too much emphasis on real Lord Ruler versus Kelsier imitation, but either one is experimenting with their powers and trying to influence things as much as possible. Why wouldn't you try to create robots? That's what I was just going to say. Like the Southern Skadrians have quite a bit of technology maybe the southern scadrians have robots and like someone at some point maybe nisel's dad mm. stumbled upon some robots and was like Mah. it's a tribe of metal beans yeah exactly i wonder if that's true like robots seem to make sense to me but maybe they're it in like the automaton phase advanced yeah more like a c-3po well, C-3PO, very advanced. Obviously, he speaks 31,000 languages. But <laughs> you know I what think, I mean. I think that that, again, turn of the century, the robots you saw that were like hugely intricate pieces of art, but they were very delicate and not super functional. Sure. They could do like one thing, like pick up their arm and like wave. But it was so it was such impressive craftsmanship to create it that maybe that's something that are being experimented with now on this world. Yeah, I think this is a super interesting question. And then another question, what are these constructs of antiquity that are mentioned? I thought like, maybe is this another name for the bands of mourning? It's not a bad call, but the bands of mourning, the history of the bands of mourning is interesting to me because they're both like, not known and known about. Mm -hmm. And so these, you know, other magical elements from antiquity, it could be the bands of mourning or it could just be any other random thing that we haven't yeah, seen Yeah, I mean, before. the name is like so not descriptive. It's literally just thing that was made a long time ago. Like yes. that's what construct of antiquity means. And so, <laughs> yeah, I think we have to remember that 
a bunch of magical power can be in a very simple thing like an armband on this world. You could have a Farukamis entire knowledge database that's in a bracelet. And so maybe people are stumbling across artifacts like constructs of antiquity (laughs) yeah it would be interesting if there were like mini bands of mourning you know a huge dump of someone's power that was uh, from a single misting or maybe like someone at the end of their life think of like a wax uh the iron yeah that's interesting i mean you would have to be a farukamist yeah but if you didn't use it like wax did and you would save up a bunch you would have to know how to create an unkeyed metal mind which that's but that's the antiquity part is like maybe something in the past was able to do that easier and then all you would have to do is pick that up in the modern day and it would become one of these unknown constructs of antiquity i hope that this story continues in the next broadsheet that we're going to get in the lost metal because then of course the next question from this passage we read is like who is the haunted man well we're gonna find out because that's what the whole story is about essentially nicelle sees this quote-unquote haunted man and pursues him onto one of the gondolas in New Saren, and they have a tussle of some sort. And we get a lot of really interesting details about the haunted man. For one, he has more than one, quote, arcane device. Covered in strange symbols and weirdly warm to the touch. They also are heavier than they appear. Like a denser metal is being used or something. Or some other source. Yeah. And then one of these devices emits, quote, a blast of pure energy shaped like a ghost, end quote, along with what is called a two-human scream. Now, because of the rampant speculation, but also because of the far future glimpse that we got in that single reading from Brandon from the First of the Sun sequel, where there is a shard gun. Hashtag all spoilers all the time. I should have said that 90 seconds ago, but you know this. Come on. Hashtag shard gun that is filled with like a magazine full of investiture and then is, you know, threatened and dangerous. What if this is an early precursor to those eventual weapons? Think think of what we have here. This is like a blast of energy, but it's shaped like a ghost, shaped like a spren, perhaps. Too human of a scream because there's some like bad part that they haven't quite figured out with the shard gun bullets. You've got good thoughts. I like where your head's at. However, I might have knowledge that you don't have. So I'm going to add some information in here and then tell you what I think this gun is. Hit me with it because there are symbols and runes and there's a lot going on. There are a few different things that make us think that the haunted man is Nas, Chris's sidekick. We know that they are round and about the Cosmere. We know that they are gathering information. They definitely would want to go find these constructs of antiquity. And so it would make sense that he is here. The haunted man also swears using the words Helmore and shadows. And as we know, Nas is a native Threnodite where there are shadows, shades, ghosty type things. Mm -hmm. So my thought is 
this gun is a shade gun. And they have somehow mm. figured out how to like harness the shade. power, investiture, destructiveness of the shades on Threnody into a gun. And that is what is happening in this situation. Okay. So same vein of what I was going for. Yeah, just different, different planet. Different planet, different power source, but a alien looking pistol with runes that glow green and then red. Yeah, there's like a ready fire type circumstance here where he sort of activates the pistol and the runes start to glow green. When they turn red is when it's like charged and ready to go. Okay, so it's like a Qzar return to energizer (laughs) situation where your gun needs to be powered up fully. And when it's ready to go, boom. Now this is a lot of speculation, obviously. Of course. But this is in the text. We're just making the connections here, folks. I think that what is interesting to me is that Nikki says the pistol can be affected by her chromium, can be drained of investiture, but not permanently. Yes. It has that recharging ability or some type of new connection back to Threnody, if your thought process is correct, that can like be reestablished a link back to and like bringing yeah. forth it's those a shades. little bit you know old guns where you only had like one or two shots at once and then you had to reload your gun before sure. you could shoot again that's basically what happens he points the gun at her she grabs it sucks the investiture out of it and is like oh great i broke it and then he like reactivates it waits and tries to shoot again before they tussle and the gun is lost okay now, with this introduction of possible Nas as the haunted man, I have another possible speculation for the constructs of antiquity. Okay. Because Nas's knife, big plot hole slash point slash mystery from Mistborn's secret history. He gives Cognitive Shadow Kelsier his knife mm. and Kelsier loses that knife. We don't know what happened to that knife. Okay. The knife is out there somewhere, conceivably on Scadrial, as the world was remade. That could be an example of something... A that, construct. Yeah, exactly. Nas would want that back. That's an interesting idea. Importantly, there's one other bit of broadsheet information that we will call out that may relate to that. So thank you for introducing us to the Nas theory. And then another interesting thing here at the end of Nisel's story is that after their tussle, the haunted man, Nas, cuts the map in half. He falls away from the gondola, and Nisel goes down to look at the spot where he would have fallen. And while she's there, she meets a white-haired man who offers to tell her a story. Obviously, we think that this is likely Hoyd. It would only be better if he was dressed in a sharp black suit. I wonder if Hoyd is also looking for the constructs of antiquity. And maybe specifically Nas's knife. That's just maybe. my main theory right now. <laughs> yeah. A fascinating okay. story with Nikki Savage. Do you think that Nikki Savage is her persona that she wants to present or the persona that she wants to be? Like, do you think there's a Nicelle Sauvage who's just randomly chilling out there, being her adventure herself, and she wants everyone else to think of her as Nikki Savage? Or is she trying to become Nikki Savage? 
I think that Nikki Savage is her stage name. Excellent. That's yeah. kind of, yeah, the division that I wanted. Like, So I think, I mean, in my opinion, it's like kind of in the middle. It both is a public face, but it's also like not not who she is. She is an adventurer and she was an adventurer before she became a broadsheet publicized uh, adventure lady named Nikki Savage, you know? Of course. I think the difference that I am getting at is a stage name, as you called it, versus changing your name Mm. to something different from your birth name. Yeah. I also suspect that this changes largely due to elements or Jack. Again, Mm-hmm. I have the feeling that Jack was like, hey, Nisel, I can show you how to become famous and make some money off of the thing that you already enjoy doing. Let me, you know, give you a public persona. We're going to sell you to the press. Let me give you this new name, Nikki Savage. That oh sounds gosh. way better for the broadsheets. Alamancer Jack is the madman of Skadrail. <laughs> yeah. He's just out here with advertising campaign after advertising <laughs> campaign. If there's a man who knows how to make money, it's Alamancer Jack. More like the used car salesman, but yeah. Getting the job done. <laughs> okay, let's move on to some other sections of this broadsheet. We also have a section about a broken gondola that strands its passengers. It's possible that this is like an actual news article about Nicelle's adventures in real life, um, since she did have this confrontation with Nas inside of a gondola car and ruined it. Also possible that this is something to do with wax, but I think Nikki is more likely. There is a mention about Bilming's newest ships, which amuse Ellendell officials. This is important because we, having just summarized that little bit about the lost metal, know that the city of Bilming is going to be a central point of that final book. And here we have a little bit of a precursor to that with the Bilmingites building warships. That is the, you know, the underquote or the subheadline. Why do we need warships? The basin is alone on land and on the seas. From whom do we need protection? End quote. Yeah. So Bilming is trying to advance the civilization in the basin. And Ellendell kind of has their heads in the sand. They're like, why do we need any weapons? Like, we're chilling here in our little oasis that Harmony made for us. This is ridiculous. Like, get back in your place. Stop trying to be cool, Bilming. And this presents something that I hadn't really thought of, but now that we've had this conversation, there's destabilization happening all throughout the Ellendale Basin. And that instability has been thrown off by the Southern Scadrians and the introduction of flying machines. But what if there is another pressure that is introduced these people from the West, this right. people from the sea exactly. that Bilming is now looking like they would be, hypothetically, they would be uh, smartly preparing for a war that comes from the sea that yeah. nobody is ready for. I mean, honestly, getting ready for any war is probably a good idea at this point, because even with the Southern Scadrians, like, who knows what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty clear that Brandon included this in the broadsheets as a flag of like, 
the Ellendelians are wrong. Yes. You know, interesting. Like, clearly, they have a false sense of security mm-hmm. that is going to come back and bite them in one way or another. And then, as you said, I think when we take this with that very, very first little broadsheet mention, it certainly makes it seem like this world is going to get a lot bigger quickly. What's really hard for me is that Era 2 of Scadrial has these bits that are mimicking or seeming to play with what happened on Earth around the turn of the century. And then Brandon has said Era 3 could be something like a 1980s thriller. In between those two time periods was a lot of world wars on our own planet. Yeah. And so is that what we need to be preparing ourselves for post Yeah, especially with the mention of the super powerful weapon. Exactly. So we have these powerful weapons. We have possible, you know, another continent to be discovered with whole other peoples that could have everything from technology to disease. And we have the introduction of more and more shard pools, world hoppers, and the like. There's a lot going on on schedules. I'm getting a little nervous for the Lost Metal, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Okay. We have another fun advert about some cultural pastimes. This one is for the, quote, the den of the survivor, end quote, which is a play about the formation of our old crew from era one. And they're described as, quote, freedom fighters rise up against oppression and overthrow a corrupt government, end quote. And so as you're saying with this uh, era tying back to a lot of our own history, we have to remember that this play you know, it's not an accident that this play is happening right now and that it's happening in New Saren amidst all of this rumble of labor union demonstrations and strikes, all of this rising unrest in the outer cities, uh, complaints about this corrupt government of Elendel. And so the co-opting of this origin story of Kelsier's crew for their own purposes being very clearly on display in a popular show. You know, these are the things that we really have to keep our eyes on. I think that's a great point. And the way that in our own history, there were huge productions, you know, creating the movie industry, early movies that were things like The Birth of the Nation, which retold how the Ku Klux Klan was founded in a positive light. Mm. That's one of the early and most successful movies of the first 10 years of film, because it was also the only one. And so that's what people were going to see. But it was definitely done as a way of rebranding, remarketing, and tying in what was going on in their present right. with what had happened in the past. Yes. So it was like, you I think- 19- Take something that people are already connected to, already have a relationship with, and then you use that to advance the message that you are trying to convey. 100%. And I think we have, again, a great insight, a great bit of world building to know and be able to play with this. It's such a small thing, and it tells you so much about their world and their society and what we might expect going forward. We also have an advert for Zinc Brand Whiskey, which is locally made and doesn't pass through the lion's den of Ellendale. Now remember, locally made, this is a newspaper in New Saran. Yes. And I thought it was interesting that they specifically call the basin or call Ellendell the lion's den. So clearly, you know, lion is 
associated with Elendel, and this is sort of a colloquial phrase that is being thrown around in the outer cities of the lion's den in a, a negative way. Yeah, because conceivably, you can either have a Mufasa or a Scar. Like, they are equally able to lead the lion and the den, and you don't know. Flip of the dice, you don't know who's yeah, going to come up and be your ruler. New Saren thinks that Elendil is Scar, yes, for sure. definitely led by Scar yeah. and This his weird whole hyenas. advert is like, buy from here, that way you won't be lining corrupt people's pockets. Rawr, local. <laughs> buy local. Keep... New Saran Weird yes, is the bumper exactly. sticker that they have. 100%. <laughs> okay. And then we hear another tiny, tiny, tiny mention of Nas again in sort of an ad, an ask, a personal of sorts. Quote, do your metal tools speak to you? End quote. Bring your tools to K or N is the sub headline. And we know from word of Brandon for a while now that K and N are Chris and Nas. Why they're looking for metal tools that might be speaking to people, we still don't know. Very interesting. Yes, because of course, the only metal objects that speak to people that we know of with 100% certainty is nightblood. And everything after that is questionable. But I think that to tie this back in, to make my full crazy Cosmere conversation speculation complete. I think that Nas, and therefore Chris, could be looking for this knife because it is a early prototype or a similarity in some respect to a Nightblood. It was maybe Interesting. filled with a lot of breath. We know that simple objects can simply be breath stores. And maybe being filled with breath for a long enough period of time allows the knife to become sentient in a way, not with the yeah. forced way of how they created Nightblood, but because of time. So like mm, time sure. being a pressure yeah. that takes a bunch of Nas's old breaths, hypothetically, and makes that knife become sentient. And maybe this is something that they recently discovered. They didn't know that it would happen. And it's a an issue that a sentient blade could be out there. Because of Naza's background as a threnodite, I'm more tempted to say that a potential mini Nightblood would be powered by, again, the maybe shades. like shades or some other type of investiture, not breaths. But intriguing still that perhaps something similar could be achieved with a different system of investiture. Especially if his gun is operating in that mechanism that it's like somehow capturing or reloading shades from his cognitive realm. Yeah. And I mean, and clearly that shows that wherever he's getting this tool is like pretty technologically advanced. And so to think back over time, the gun would be 300 years more advanced than the knife. The knife, hypothetically, in my scenario, would have been an early attempt at whatever yeah. allowed him to do the magic that we see with Nikki Savage. And then we have a final political cartoon here. We see again uh, the lion of Elendel in this cartoon, and the lion is lunging at an eagle, which presumably is representing New Saren or maybe just like all of the outer cities. It's not labeled. 
So he's lunging at an eagle. The eagle is defending a nest with three eggs in it that are labeled liberty, fortune, and prosperity. I think this is incredibly interesting. Once again, I love the political cartoons. I think we have to imagine that this is the story that the new Serenites. Yeah, new Serenites. The new Serenites would be reflecting back at the earlier cartoon that we saw uh, about the lion, you know, paddling its children. This is now we are we're being attacked and we are just trying to defend our liberty, fortune and prosperity. Exactly. Like we are the actual representation of your fancy words, Ellendell. We're the people who are making liberty happen, making fortune happen, making the prosperity We, on the backs of us, are the ones that are suffering and you're taking all the benefit because you're corrupt. That's their basic pitch and play. And I think that's a wonderful glimpse into their world that this is how people would see each other. Because, of course, ain't nobody on this world, whether they be Northern Scadrian, Southern Scadrian, or possible people of the ocean, is doing it by themselves. They are all cooperating and interacting and if there is a little bit of liberty fortune and prosperity then that is the sum total of everybody's effort not just the new serenites not just the ellendelians or not just anybody else i think this is pretty clearly calling back to the french revolution in our world which used the phrase liberté egalité fraternité so three qualities that they were pro yes, and trying to qualities. defend. So then my question is, is this going to turn into a French Revolution scenario? Because that was pretty ugly. Yeah, we're having a lot of bad fears that you and I are yeah. presenting the here. The future of Scadrial doesn't look great. It's very at least not in, in the basin. Yeah, it's in doubt. It's in question. And I think that's the power of Era 2, that it starts seemingly kind of silly in a way. Wax and Wayne, their names are a play on words. Is that necessary? And then you get into this deep discussion of classism, power, a changing society, how you know trade and all of this stuff is working out together, and it could get a lot bigger and more complicated with this next book. Very excited that we went over the broadsheets. I think a lot of great stuff, and as we said, easy to skip over those for any reason. Take a look in show notes. There should be three different links that go to the three different broadsheets that we discussed. Any final or closing thoughts? I am so glad that we did this episode. I feel like I learned so much about the society present in Mistborn Era 2. And as scared as I am about the future of Skadriel at this point, I'm also very excited for the Lost Metal. Let us know what you learned or information that's important that we left out. Brooke, can you take us away? Until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 